Chapter Twenty Five of the Leopard's Claw by George Washington Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Oliver is shipwrecked. The steamer was struck amidship, and Oliver's cabin was near the scene of the disaster. Oliver had been on sea about four days when the steamer attempted to enter a non-port of entry off the Grain Coast in north latitude four degrees sixteen minutes and west longitude eight degrees fifteen minutes at night in order to smuggle contraband goods to the natives the captain was not very familiar with the dangerous harbor and wrecked the ship upon one of the many rocks submerged beneath the water and hardly visible except at the closest distance in low tide the ship was sinking rapidly and the boats lowered and ordered to the open seas all of the passengers and crew were rescued except oliver he was asleep when the accident first occurred, but the noise and confusion soon awakened him, and he just had time to don his clothes and secure his life-boy around himself when he saw the water rushing into his cabin. He made his way to the deck with the greatest difficulty amid the dark watery surroundings. When he reached the deck the ship was deserted and sinking rapidly. He caught the glimpse of flames coming from the forecastle, and leaped overboard just as an explosion from the hatch-hole, where the cargo of petroleum oil was stored, set the whole ship aflame. A piece of the wreck struck him on the head and knocked him senseless. A number of African wreckers were holding torches and gathering the cargo the captain had ordered to be thrown overboard. In an effort to lighten the ship before he was aware of the hopelessness of their task to save the ship, much of the cargo had been sacrificed in this way and a much useless labor. Oliver drifted toward the beach and would have been dashed against the rocks had it not happened that his bracelet upon the left arm was exposed, and two of the men who were about to swim after a floating case caught the gleam of the gold and dragged him ashore. One of them held a torch while the other tried to remove the bracelet. He accidentally touched the spring and revealed the leopard claw. At the same time Oliver opened his eyes and looked upon the open bracelet also. He regained, it seemed, temporary consciousness, and immediately closed the springs to the great amazement of the already astonished natives, who kept repeating, Shia, Shia, as they stood aghast. A white man who wore a hidden leopard claw and who was aroused from the dead, and who closed it from view, was a strange, miraculous being. The leopard claw, then believed surely to have been a powerful charm, caused them to leave him upon the beach unmolested as they finished their wrecking and reported the strange find to the others. Some of the men had traveled as stevedores upon European steamers and spoke several languages so that when oliver recovered sufficiently to stand up alone after a long illness in one of the ship boy's hut and walked around they were more mystified when he did not speak a word or seem to realize his condition since the dumb are always protected among all africans and supposed to bring good luck to their patrons everybody was anxious to contribute to oliver's comfort of course the word was passed that the less known about the wrecked boat the better off would be the villagers who might be held accountable for the cargo recovered by the wreckers they were therefore much relieved when a caravan starting for the interior asked for his companionship as an omen of a lucky and successful trip and oliver was sent into the interior with a blank memory and unable to speak 
while no word of his rescue reached the civilized world. Four years had passed since a wreck. Lady Georgiana, the Earl of Dubley's daughter, had married an old but very wealthy French count, and was now the Countess de la Ferrie, and lived in southern France. Lord Dubley had long before missed the companionship of his young daughter, who at a very early age disappointed him by her designing and too ambitious disposition, which was but the result of her mother's training. Georgiana's marriage, although a disappointment, was a relief to the earl, who often thought of and read the reports of his innocent and orphaned niece. Her letters and photographs were his greatest pleasure, which he enjoyed in secret. This morning he sat in the old library where his father always sat and read Sister Teresa's report concerning Lucretia. It read in part, You will be astonished at the progress the dear girl has made. She has a talent for music which she has also greatly improved. She has cultivated a kind and dignified reserve which makes her appear older than her age and inspires the respect and admiration of all her acquaintances. We hate to part with the dear child, but since you ask if we think she is sufficiently trained to leave the convent, I must be frank and do justice to our charge. She will need no further tuition for the position she will occupy in life. I am sure she will continue her studies and wide reading, so that unless she intended to specialize in music or train to earn a living, you may be at rest concerning her education. Lord Dubley cabled immediately to Sister Teresa his intention of leaving for Freetown for Lucretia. Lady Dubley did not spare his lordship the pain of the knowledge of her disapproval of receiving Lucretia as their ward. But, to her great surprise, Lord Dubley paid no heed to her objections, and left immediately for Freetown. When Sister Teresa presented the tall and graceful young lady to Lord Dubley, he could hardly believe that it was the shy girl that he had parted from a few years previously. But as soon as they were left to themselves, he found that the reserved Lucretia was also a warm-hearted, affectionate girl, who responded to his fatherly greeting and lavished the love which she had so long nursed for her supposedly dead parents upon her lonely uncle. "'You are sixteen now, I believe,' Lord Dubley inquired. "'Next September, coming four months hence, Uncle dear,' she replied." You looked like a grown-up lady when you were first announced, but upon closer inspection, I see that you are still the open-hearted young girl I have always imagined you to be. With your old uncle you will always be yourself and reserve the other poise for strangers, Lord Dubley playfully remarked. Lucretia and Zena soon bade good-bye to their kind friends. Zena, although years younger, was a strong girl and looked to be sixteen or possibly eighteen years of age. She accompanied her young friend and mistress as lady's maid, having been trained to the position. Aboard the ship they were met by Mr. Solomon, who presented Lucretia with the young monkey which she immediately christened Nogi too, in memory of their protectress. Lucretia was happy in her chummy relations with her uncle, who was her ideal of what she had always imagined her father to be. She anticipated her pleasure in wandering through the old castle and visiting her grandfather's and daddy's apartments. She imagined Lady Dubley to be just a motherly person as Mrs. Jones of the mission, 
sister teresa or the ideal of her mother by which she judged all good women no dark forebodings or doubts marred her happiness in the anticipation of the welcome which she would receive at her ancestral home and so it was a light-hearted and happy girl who watched the old castle as they approached in an open machine while lord dubley pointed out the different works and scenes of interest she was disappointed when they were greeted by the formal footman and prim scottish maid instead of her aunt as she had expected lord dubley left her in the maid's care who led her to her own apartments while he sought his wife to arrange a meeting please send zena to me lucretia said to the maid after having admired her private boudoir dainty bed and dressing-rooms somehow there seemed to be a loneliness and disappointment which her handsome apartment could not relieve when zena arrived she had also felt the chill and both wished the same unspoken thought that they were back at the happy convent lucretia had just changed her travelling clothes and donned a simple white dress when many a maid announced that his lordship awaited miss moncrief in the hall to conduct her to lady dubley lucretia entered the sumptuous apartment of lady dubley and was ushered into the boudoir on the arm of her uncle lady dubley was reclining upon a couch and arose at their entrance she coldly extended her hand and turned her cheek to be kissed after a polite inquiry as to the voyage and as to the satisfaction of lucretia's apartment she apologized as she complained of a severe headache and informed lucretia that she would have to take her breakfast alone or with the earl because she always dined alone in the mornings lucretia was very anxious to do something to relieve lady dubley but her offers were met with a polite refusal after lucretia had retired lady dubley turned to her husband and remarked many inform me that lucretia brought along a heathen maid and a monkey i wish you would give her to understand that they are undesirable and must be dispensed with you would also do me a favor by placing her in a young lady's boarding-school where she could be made a polished english lady lord dubley exerted his authority in a most surprising manner and refused to separate lucretia from her maiden pet or to take her to a school lucretia will grace any drawing-room in her present state but i shall have companions for her next fall who will assist her in the modern languages and music after which i shall have lady endicourt her mother's widowed aunt chaperone her upon a continental tour lord dubley remarked as he arose to retire lucretia felt the coldness of lady dubley very keenly and somehow believed that it was due to some fault of hers in her anxiety to please her aunt she continually sought her company offering to do little personal services and was always reminded that the maids were employed to contribute to the comfort of her ladyship after which she would leave feeling very much humiliated her uncle presented her with one of his pedigreed horses and they both took early morning rides over the beautiful green plains and through the wooded parks these rides and their occasional chats in the library were lucretia's happiest hours one afternoon in the early fall lucretia was in her boudoir seated on a roman stool before the open fire leaning her chin upon the open palm of her left hand as the elbow rested on her knee 
playing with the leopard claw around her neck as she gazed into the fire in a very thoughtful mood. Zena squatted Turkish fashion upon an oriental rug as she petted Nogi too. Lady Dubley entered unannounced and stood looking upon the scene. "'How dare you perform a heathish rite in this castle?' she demanded in a rage. Before Lucretia understood the question had been addressed to her, Lady Dubley ordered Zena and Nogi from the room and forbade their return. Then turning to Lucretia she said, "'Don't you know that white people do not wear fetishes and worship idols? I thought you had left those ceremonies on the mountain in Africa.' "'Throw that claw into the fire at once.' Lucretia was indignant at the accusation, and informed Lady Dubley politely that she would never part from the claw, because her dead father had fastened it around her neck, and had instructed her never to part from it. Lady Dubley sought the Earl in the library, and accused Lucretia of fetish and idol worship, and insisted that Zena and Nogi leave the castle immediately, and that Lucretia remove the claw from her neck.' Lord Dubley was very sad over his wife's decision, but made no comments until he had spoken with Lucretia. He did not believe the charges, but asked his niece if she would not wear a chain and locket with her initial in brilliance instead. But when Lucretia explained the circumstances of her father's gift of the claw and his warning, her uncle gave her the privilege of wearing it unmolested. He then arranged with an old nurse of his, who lived in a cottage in the Petting Hill, to lodge Zena and Nogi, and permitted Lucretia to visit them. Lord Dubley had gone to London for a few days, and one sharp morning Lucretia refused to allow the groom to accompany her on her ride. As they were driving through the country, Nogi leaped from her arms upon the horse's neck and pulled its ear. The horse became frightened and galloped madly away beyond Lucretia's control. The Earl of Winslow, whose estate adjoined the Dubley estate, was riding a sprightly chestnut horse through a meadow when the frightened horse bounded madly over a board fence coming in his direction as Lucretia clung to its neck. Lord Reginald Winslow was a young man about twenty-two, of dark complexion, and wore a becoming, slight mustache of a dark brown color. He was about five feet eight inches, and his erect, correct, and sprightly bearing gave one the impression that he was of the military profession. But they were only typical of his character, and represented a young aristocrat who recognized the responsibility of his position, and always tried to live up to his social demands. His sprightly energy exerted itself as soon as he saw the runaway horse. After an exciting chase, his self-possession almost deserted him as he caught a glimpse of Lucretia's frightened but calm white face, while Nogi clung to her right shoulder and a braid of her hair, which had unloosed in its fright, when he finally succeeded in checking the frightened horse. Raising his riding cap of the same pattern of the plaid riding suit he wore, "'You had better take my mount,' he said, after being assured that she was unharmed." "'Thank you so much, sir, but Billy is all right now. "'Nogi will not be naughty any more, will you, Nogi?' "'She concluded as she patted the monkey. "'Lord Winslow held out his arm to Nogi, "'and to the surprise of his mistress, "'it leaped from her to the earl, "'and cuddled in his arms as if they were old friends. 
Thus the first bond of friendship was firmly established, and Lord Winslow, bearing Nogi, accompanied her to the village, as she innocently chatted of her pet and African maid. After Nogi was restored to its keeper, and Lucretia had promised to omit him in her future rides, Lord Winslow took his departure. On the next morning Lucretia rode along, and they were both surprised when their morning rides happened to bring them together. Lord Winslow, of course, was naturally anxious about the result of the runaway ride, but his sense of propriety and strict conventional training prompted him to inquire if there were no mutual acquaintance who could give a formal introduction. When Lucretia informed him that she lived at Dubley Castle and was the daughter of the late Oliver Moncrief, Lord Winslow immediately recalled the history of the unfortunate family. I am well acquainted with the Earl and Lady Dubley. I shall call on him to-morrow and obtain a formal introduction. Until then, au revoir, he concluded as he tipped his cap and rode away. Lucretia had met no eligible young men. In fact, besides her father and uncle, Reverend Jones, Governor Rowe, the priest and Mr. Solomon, her acquaintance with the male sex had ended and her father and uncle had occupied the star places in her mind. But now her hero and ideal that she had read of, and sometimes in her innocent daydreams had pictured, had come in real life. Her natural reserve protected her secret, so that she but inspired a greater passion in her devoted admirer. Lord Winslow was well acquainted with Lady Dubley's habits because a few years previously he had been a constant visitor at the castle when he was accepted suitor of Lady Georgiana, the Earl's daughter. He therefore called at 11 a.m., just after she had partaken of her breakfast and occupied her morning sun parlor. Lady Dubley received his card with a smile of pleasurable surprise. She had secretly regretted that Georgiana had not waited a little longer before breaking her engagement with the then titleless heir of a rich uncle, who then bade fair to a good old age, for the old Count de la Ferre, who jealously guarded his young wife and refused to take her into society as she naturally desired. Lady Dubley did not admit her regrets even to her husband, and suffered the more keenly, especially since her selfish daughter did not spare her feelings in her reproachful letters. It was really a great pleasure to her ladyship when Lord Winslow was announced. She held out her hand and greeted him in a very friendly manner. After an exchange of polite compliments, Lord Winslow mentioned the object of his visit. Do I understand you to say that Lord Dubley's niece was riding with that African idol? Lord Winslow then explained the accident again. I am sorry not to be able to comply with your request, Lord Winslow, but Miss Moncrief is not old enough or prepared to enter society. She will be sent to school and taught to outgrow her African habits before she makes her debut into society. I shall have to ask you to wait until that time, my friend, Lady Dubley replied to his repeated request. Lady Dubley prohibited the next morning's ride, and when the Earl returned that afternoon, Lady Dubley informed him of the meeting with Lord Winslow. "'Just think of your niece riding through the country unattended, with a monkey, which frightens the horse when it sees a handsome young man approaching, who of course rescues the fainting maiden. Oh, it is disgraceful! These innocent girls are very clever after all,' 
lady doubly remarked in a temper she must be sent away to school because i will not tolerate her presence here any longer under the circumstances lady doubly concluded when the earl failed to reply to her first statements lucretia explained the occurrence to her uncle but suggested that perhaps the school would be better since her ladyship desired it it was finally agreed that lucretia be sent to a fashionable boarding school lord winslow had always been the choice of the earl who tried to influence his daughter to be guided by her true feelings rather than make a needless sacrifice for wealth and title the earl of dubley therefore listened to lord winslow's proposal for lucretia's hand with favour does lucretia reciprocate your feelings reginald he asked after lord winslow had paused i have not dared express my sentiments to your niece without your approval lord dubley he replied lucretia is but sixteen years of age and has no experience of the world she received only the training her mother could give her in the jungles until placed in the convent so you must understand that she will have to be sympathetically understood by you before it would be advisable to contemplate an early marriage lord dubley remarked lord winslow soon convinced the earl of dubley that his feelings were no passing fancy summoning a page lord dubley sent for lucretia lucretia was packing her little treasured mementos over which she was shedding tears when the page was admitted and delivered his lordship's message when lucretia entered the library the earl of dubley retired and left the couple alone lucretia was very surprised when she saw lord winslow in her uncle's library but half an hour afterward the spirit of her old grandfather who had often smiled upon her baby in childhood photographs must surely have smiled upon his happy granddaughter who plighted her maiden heart to the keeping of such a true and handsome knight lord dubley returned an hour later to find the couple in such a happy mood that the first glance told its own story lord winslow led lucretia to her uncle and received his blessings lord dubley first objected to the early marriage lord winslow proposed but the memory of lucretia's unpleasant position at the castle and his desire to see her happy finally overruled his first objections and he consented lady dubley was very much chagrined over the news of the engagement but decided to act the part lucretia's position demanded she however would not consent to the marriage until a formal luncheon was given at which lucretia's debut and engagement were made simultaneously on the eve of the marriage lady dubley visited lucretia's room at midnight she kissed her niece very affectionately and sitting beside the bed as she held her hand she began my dear little girl you have always misunderstood my motive when i suggested things for your good and future happiness i know that you are an innocent girl who knows nothing of the wickedness and machinations of this our world you precipitated this agreement without consulting me who after all you will find to be your best friend lord winslow is the jilted suitor of georgiana my daughter the countess of de la fere he still loves georgiana and is only marrying you because he has foolishly got the impression that he would be spiting me since he accuses me of being responsible for georgiana's choice had i believed he wanted to meet you from a sincere motive of friendship i should not have hesitated although you are not old enough to receive young gentlemen callers 
but how could i believe he was sincere when he continually upbraided me for ruining his happiness i would have spared you a loveless marriage but there will come a time when you will recall this interview and wish you had heeded my advice End of chapter 25